marvelous thing he has done. We continue on uh, with our series and dealing with the gospel. Today we're going to talk about the part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when we talk about the gospel, we tell somebody it's the good news, and we don't say much more after that. But I want to highlight today that when we say the gospel, we want to say that it is God is who is the righteous creator who judges sin in his great creation, who created man, and man is sinful. And because of man's sin, we are the subject of God's wrath. And so then steps in Jesus. This is where the story changes. Oh, hallelujah. And the grace of talking of this gospel message, we have to include Jesus. Because without Jesus, we have no good news. And so when we look at the life of our Lord and Savior, it highlights how much our life means to him. When we think about how he lived and how he died, it should impact in how we should live and how we should die. Jesus Christ. Many People will speak of Jesus who do not know him as Lord and Savior and tell he's a good man. I like his teachings. And they stop there. And it saddens me because he is more than just a good man who has good teachings. And so when we look at who he is. I, I want to highlight that many other people talk about some other great religious characters and figures, even some mythological, but none of them died for them. If they died, it was not for the man's sake. It was for because they had no other choice. But Jesus died not because he had to. Not because someone forced him to, it's because he gave up his life so that we might have life. And it's beautiful because he was not put into the position that he had to make that choice. He came to make that choice. Let me help you out. Some people are put in a position that says, you know what, I'll die so you can live, so you can get out this trap. No, no. Jesus says, I'm coming into the trap. I'm not in the trap. I'm coming into the trap, and I'm going to let you get out the trap, and I'll die in your place. So he came to get you out. Mm-mm. He wasn't already caught in the position. <laughs> he came to get us out. And catch this, catch this. He was already in a good position. And he says this, that when I came into the trap to kick you out, I want you to go where I came from. Ooh. And so then when you think about he came, when he came, he came to set us free. Let's think about where did he come from? He came from heaven. And where did he come? He came to darkness. To show his light, to share his light. So that we might know the light and have life. In, in this wonderful chapter of Isaiah, uh, starting at verse uh, 12 of, of chapter 52. I'm sorry, 13 of chapter 52. And we go to the 53rd chapter. 
I just want to highlight one verse that we already received in our reading. Looking at verse 4, I'm going to read from New Living Translation. Uh, those who have another translation might hear the word born and carried. Uh, but New Living Translation says it this way. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. I want to talk about Jesus. In talking about Jesus, I have to talk about salvation. So first, what is salvation? Some people think they can save themselves. Some people have it already in their mind. If I have perfect attendance on Sunday morning, I make it to our midweek worship services and I give a certain amount of money, I'm good. Some think I don't need to go to the church, but I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm good. The problem is that they lost the whole point of their life. They thought the point of their life is as long as I do good works and I believe God is good, I'm going to have a good life if I keep on doing good. And here's some people's message that they preach from the pulpit. They'll tell you to be good, do good, God is good. And you'll have a good life. And if your life is not good now, I'll teach you how to have a better life. And now you've reached that better part. I got another book coming out. Your best life yet. But I got to make another book. How to make best of the best of your life. I'm making this stuff up as I go along. But I bet you might find a title like that. And so here it is that the ideology of if I do good, God is good, I will be good. But yet, if you look closely here within this text, Isaiah is writing to God's people who were told the law and how to be good, and they were no good. And they were no good to the point that they're waiting for somebody to come and save them. Isaiah writes this beautiful account out, given to him from the Lord to the Israelites, now to us, the people of God, in our Bible, some thousand years before Jesus was even born. But it has some great information in here that lines up with his life and his death. And again, all that is part of our salvation. Salvation is this, and a more basic terminology is this, that if you were about to die and somebody saved you from dying, that's salvation. Salvation is not when things are convenient. It's when things are in turmoil and things are in trouble, that's when you get saved. If you're doing all right, right, and somebody push you out the way, you're like, why'd you push me? <laughs> but if somebody pushed you out the way and then something came swinging by, you say, oh, thank you for saving my life. The problem is that oftentimes Christ has come for us and we don't know that we're standing in danger. The text says in verse 4, what it, yet it was our weakness he carried. 
It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. That's where some people standing that they think Jesus just a man, that he didn't die for me because I'm good. He didn't have to die for me because I'm good. But yet he bore ours. He bore ours. Means born means to carry. The same word is used in how the water lifted the ark of Noah's ark. I mean, it was something that was able to lift up or how a my parent were born, a child will carry a child. Which means that God, Jesus himself, was carrying all of ours. Mm. That he, he born it. He born them. And not only that, that he took all the weight of our sorrow. That's why Jesus came saying this, that I will give you rest. Do you understand that if we put it all on him, we let him carry? Think about how you get tired of carrying stuff and you want to load into your trunk of your car or put it in the truck or put it in the car. You say, I'm going to take all this load off and take it off so I'll be free. Definitely now in traveling, I think about how when we're traveling, definitely on an airplane, how you know you, you can get, check the first luggage for free, right? And then they're going to bill you for the second luggage or the third luggage. And so you try to pack light so you can put everything in there in one luggage. But yet you also don't pack too light because you want enough to have, but also you want some room to bring home some more stuff that you get. And so in the process that you want to be free so you can walk around the terminal of the airport, don't have anything in your hands, and you're free to go. But yet when you have your luggage, check it out, then you got to pick it up, then you got to drag it back to your car. Jesus let you know that I can take all your burdens. And you can rest and don't have to worry about picking them back up. So why? Why does he want to bear all our burdens? The reason why is that we already talked about man and sin. We are sinful. And the penalty of sin is death. Tell your neighbor, the penalty of sin is death. And let's look at this process of death. Look how Jesus died. It, it gives you a description. If you take the time to list, you'll come over at least 10 things that it was going through. It says that many were amazed or astonished. And the reason why, because his face was so messed up. It was unrecognizable. There's a. I forgot the actor's name, but he was writing a journal of him playing Jesus in a movie. And so he writes down, today I die on the cross. And, and so he's walking out in the lobby of the hotel, going out to go do the scene. And the children and people were appalled and screaming at him. Only because of the makeup on his face. I said makeup. I said makeup. The makeup had them scared. Makeup. Fake, not real. Imagine what Christ's face looked like from being pummeled and hit, beaten, battered, and bruised, and pierced in his scalp with thorns. They blindfolded, hit him with a stick, prophesy, who hits you? Before they even took him there, they slapped him and pulled, plucked his beard from his face when they were trying to judge him. He did that for who? So he was despised and rejected. People turned their backs on him. They abused him. They whipped him. They, you know, by his stripes, you know, he was whipped and last. His stripes, his blood was shed for us. 
Another thing I want to highlight, when you read in the Bible and it talks about by the blood of Jesus, it's not talking about how we might view it as a, a beautiful pouring flow of blood coming down. When they mention the word blood, it's emphasizing a violent death. Not as in he was donating blood. But a violent death. So we see here, yet it was our weakness he cared. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment from his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. This violent death that he went through was for us. So let's think about how is it that I could have a good life and not no suffering, and I have a Lord of God who suffered that I might have a good life. Then shouldn't I at least make some sacrifices in my life then? Learning how to forgive and give because he's forgiven me. He's given me much. Mm. Because what it says, all of us are like sheep, have what? Strength. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Nobody in this room is perfect. And so once we get off our high horse, stop criticizing everybody else, talking about what they're not doing, we need to look at ourselves and see what are you not doing. And when we realize that, oh, I am a sinner too, I'm not perfect, let me too turn it over unto the Lord. But when we think so highly of ourselves, we are having the worst sin of all. Why I say the worst of all? Because you don't see how bad you are. And when you don't see how bad you are, you don't know how bad you're hurting yourself. And when you don't know how bad you're hurting yourself, you don't know how sick you really are. And here's the struggle. That Christ has come to expose us. Mm. He is the light and we are the darkness. Think about how when we walk into a dark room, why do we turn the light on so that we can feel safe? Think about the mechanism of how when you unlock your car. And many of you, if you have that, if you can have that, that beep, boop, boop, you unlock your car, what happens into the car? The dome light comes on. Why does the dome light come on? Think about it for a moment. How, how often times you watch those movies and the kidnapper sit in the back seat of the car? <laughs> you can't see if it's in the dark, right? Turn the lights on. You might wait a minute. I see something moving back there. <laughs> I'm gonna hit the panic button now. Let him not see. The light comes on. It exposes what is hidden. Jesus came to realize that we are sin, and, and he already knows that we're sinful, but he wanted us to see our own sin. He wanted to expose to us and say, you're not as good as you think. But I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. Catch this. Don't hold on to it. Give it to me. I've come to take your sinness. I came to take your sin sickness. I came to take your burdens, your trials, your tribulations, and I came to bear them. I know some people think that I deserve what I'm getting, but you know the truth. You know that should be you. That's why I'm here. You see how we suffer that it looks like he deserves it. Now, let's go into this context here. In the Greco-Roman area, that when they died and, and people died, just think about this for a moment, uh, how legend has it, uh, how Peter and Paul died. Legend has Peter died on a, 
upside down cross. And, and, and legend has it that Paul died by beheading. Why was Paul beheaded and Peter died on the upside down cross? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Paul was a Roman citizen. What does that have to do with anything? Roman citizens don't die on a cross. Why wouldn't the Roman citizens die on a cross? Because that's a horrific death. That's a death of torture and punishment and proof that Rome is in charge. So why did Christ die on a cross? <laughs> he died the most horrific death possible. He died, and check this out, he had to be lifted up in a public area. That's why when Paul went, if you look in Acts, and Paul goes up, and, and he's in Rome, and he's talking to, the, to Caesars and, the, and Herod and all of them, and saying, says, this was no secret done in no private corner. You know about Jesus being dead. They heard about his death. But if he died in a small corner and nobody knew of it, how can they prove it? But he said it was no secret. You, you are aware of Jesus dying on the cross. So the beautiful aspect of his death is that it was done to be symbolic for all to know in even in history and in time. Think about our calendar. Our calendar, though it may be misdated, the, he had a good idea that he was trying to count down to the birth of Jesus and count since the years off. Since great archaeology history has pointed out that it possibly is possibly that it was four BC Christ was born, not zero BC. But either way, his intent was good. But yet, it all centered around Jesus. Take it, our calendar centered around Jesus. They want to change it now. They don't want to say before Christ and AD Anno's Diem in the year of the Lord. They want to say before common era and common era. So that's why you might see BCE before common era instead of BC before Christ. But yet Christ is still the center. <laughs> you can change the words, but you know the reason. For the count. Oh, glory be to God. What I want us to grab is that many people want to change so much, so, but it does not change who Jesus is. And his impact in history. And check it out, the impact in our lives. Because he is the Christ. Here in this text also, we find a new terminology here when he says, my suffering servant. In Isaiah, if you read through Isaiah, you'll find he mentions the servant. Oftentimes, he mentions the servant. It might be plural. It might be singular. It might be to Israel. It might be to his kings. But when he talks about his suffering servant, it's an anonymous. They're not sure who it's going to be. And also, it's singular. What does that all that mean? I'm sorry if I was moving too fast. It means this, that he was very specific and who the suffering servant was, that he was my servant. It's anonymous, for it did not mention it was a king. It did not mention it was Israel. Let them know I'm not talking about you. But I'm talking about a servant who had no guilt upon him, no sin on him. Well, that definitely can't be Israel because they're sinful, and that's why they're already exiled. It could not be the Judas and the Israelites that came after them because they're sinful, and they're going to be count and found fault, you know, find fault in them. So it points to the Messiah, the anointed one of Christ. And he is our suffering servant. And in him being our suffering servant, looking at verses 9 and 10, it says, He had done no wrong. And he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. And he was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. 
he will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. You know that Jesus gave up his life. He had done no wrong. He was not guilty of the punishment that came upon him. But we are. And he took our guilt. That's where we get this verbiage here of penal substitutionary atonement. Penal means penalty. Substitutionary, you know, to substitute, to take a place of. Atonement is another fancy word. Basically, if you break it down, it says at one meant. Another way to use it is say reconciliation. Basically, God took what was wrong and made it right. He took what was apart and made it one. He had atonement, made it at one meant. All this was done through the penal substitutionary atonement, which was the suffering, death, burial, resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The penalty is death. He died for us. Substitution. He took our suffering, our pain, our grief, our guilt. He took our place and he died on the cross in our place and the beautiful thing is that when he died on the cross so did our sins when they nailed him to the cross they nailed our sins and Cassius Cassius he did that some thousand years ago and it's still working today because he's eternal so he took our place and make us at one with him they tried to talk to Jesus telling him you know uh, you ought to leave here. And people are trying to get you, and he lets them know. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father, from John 10, 18, the good shepherd. Let him know that nobody can take my life. I lay it down. Remember, he came to give up his life for us. He wasn't forced in a position that he had no other choice. No, his love moved him. His love moved him. His love for us moved him to take our penalty. Let's think about how we love some people. And let's think about how we see them going through some things, but we don't love them enough that we say, I'll take that for you. Some of you say, oh, yes, I would. Okay, I need help moving. Good luck. I love you, but I don't have time to help you out. Y'all see what I'm saying here? We, we want to justify. No, I'm a good person. I, I will give up anything to help out my friend. Well, let me call you at midnight. I got a flat tire. Can't you call AAA? See, in conditions we can put ourselves in when we think we're more spiritual and holier than that. But our Jesus, who is fully righteous and just, realized he, he didn't have to, but love moved him to be in our place. He laid down his life, and he took it back up. So what happened when he, in his death? His death took our penalty. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so we understand that somebody had to die. And if we should be true with it, we say, I'm so glad it was Jesus. Because think about it. We don't know death because of Jesus took it for us. What do you mean we don't know death? We experience people passing away. But yet you have not personally experienced death. When he died on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't then the psalmist says, I was young and now I'm old? But I've never seen your righteous forsaken, nor your seed, begging for bread. But here it is, the righteous son of God is on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because death is absence of God. Jesus bore our punishment and took separation from God to bore in our penalty our death. And to defeat death, that he rose again, that he what? He was reconciled with God. Ah, so what can separate us from the love of God? Not height, not depth, not angels, not powers, not principality, not nakedness. What can? Nothing. Why? Because Jesus, his love brought us back home. So he took what was wrong and he made it right. And he did all this while he was despised and rejected. Now, I want you to look at that part, too, that even his parents thought he was crazy. They said his mother and his brothers and sisters came to get him and said that he was crazy, that he lost his mind. He responds and says, you are my brothers and sisters who obey my father's commands. His brothers, uh, and they mentioned him, James and his other brothers got on to him saying, why don't you go on up? It's time for the Passover. Prove that you're the Messiah. Even they were being kind of facetious with saying that to him. Say, I really don't believe who you say. That you are. But later on, we find out who James is, and he writes that great letter that I, James, a brother. <laughs> oh, glory be to God. We can see how when people's lives have been changed, when they see his resurrection, the power of his resurrection. Now, many of us, we have not seen his resurrection. So we like, well, how do I know he's alive? Let me ask you this question. Do I, do I have to shoot you to let you know that a gun shooting you hurts you? Or can you take my word for it? So, so many times we want to doubt stuff because we want to experience, but yet it's already been done, so you already got the evidence. What's the evidence? He was buried in a rich man's tomb. You see that right there in the text. The evidence is the tomb is empty. (laughs) The evidence is the tomb is empty. Oh, that's not good enough. Okay, how is it a, a carpenter... Low in status in Greco-Roman area, doing training. I want you to understand, in that area, if you work with your hands, it was not a good thing. Those who work with their hands were the least of these. Majority of people in the Greco-Roman area, in that area where Jesus was living under the rule of Rome, majority of the people were slaves. What do you mean by slaves? It means that they had nothing. All they had was to be able to work just to get a meal for that day. And some were a meal a day. Some were hope I get a meal a day. Some knew that they made just enough to get a meal a day. That's why it sounds so good. Give us this day. Our daily bread. Meaning that this is all we got to make it. I don't know what's going to tomorrow, but I got enough for today. And so they live in a poor town, a carpenter, unlearned. He's not educated. How can he come and teach us with power and authority? How can we see his power, the arm of God? We see him make the blind to see, the lame to walk. A man born blind, never, we've never seen this before. A man born blind, able to see. Man was dead, not just for a day, but three days. And you were able to say, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth. They saw his power and they still rejected him. And check this out, this same power, how it exposed in this small area where they try to suppress and oppress those who are enslaved. He says, I've come to preach to the poor. Give sight to the blind. 
make the lame to walk. And the bl- you see, and that's awesome. You see how he came for that purpose and see how that message moved. It started transcending Rome in that area. Why was that? Because that's his power. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It can move and change. And so we see why he has his victory over his death and his power as well. This power was even in his death. You see that in the text that he will enjoy his offsprings. That's his resurrection. We are his offspring. We confess on Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We are his children. The Bible says, John 3, in uh, uh, chapter 3, and look at verse 4, the end of verse 5, you must be born again. John 3, 16 tells us what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth shall not perish but have everlasting life. We are the fruit of his labor. So then how shall we live? It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Because I was crucified with Christ on the cross. Check that on Galatians 2nd chapter verse 20. See, you can make that your memory verse. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. For I died on the cross with Christ. So we see here that, okay, it's no longer I. Because why? I've been substituted in. I should be dead, but now I'm alive. And since I now I'm alive, I should live for him, not for me. He died. He suffered. He went through penalty and sin for my sake. He was innocent. I am guilty. Yet he died for me. So you see how he was born. He carried. He was pierced. He was crushed. His chastisement, his chastisement, his wounds, our iniquities are laid upon him. He was stricken for our transgression. He was made, he was made an offering for our guilt. And cast this, he did that all that for our griefs, our sins, our transgressions, for us to have peace, for us to be made not guilty, and for us to be accounted righteous. And so when we think about this gospel message, we think about Jesus Christ. Let us not think about he was just a man who had good teachings. But let us see the man who was fully God, who suffered a horrific, violent, terrible death, who bore our shame and carried our guilt so that we might have peace, that we might have reconciliation, that we might know redemption. That we might know salvation. That we might know him. Let us turn to our Lord. Father, we come. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood that was shed for our sins. And set us free. We thank you, Lord, that we are lost without you but we are found in you. Oh, Father, thank you for your great love towards us. Thank you for forgiving us, oh God, and redeeming us. And Father, we realize we're not perfect and we're, our hearts are prone to wonder. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, for today and the days to come, that you will truly draw us close, oh God, and help us, Lord, to continue to turn away from our wickedness and live full in obedience unto you. We thank you for our Lord and Savior.
We thank you for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' holy name, Lord, we pray. Amen.